Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, take your Bibles and turn over to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2. Because it's another week, I have another injury, so I'm going to be sitting down uh, today. Finally got over uh, my uh, surgery and could start exercising, so of course then you pull a hamstring. And uh, so uh, it just seems to be one thing after another. So I'll take all the free medical advice that you all can give me. That will be great. Hey, we started a new sermon series last week called, uh, I Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. And we've talked about the fact that we are all searching for meaning and purpose in this life. And yet everything we seem to do to try to find it, none of it works out. None of it really seems to give us exactly what we're looking for. Last week, we looked in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we talked about the fact that the uh, author of Ecclesiastes did everything he needed to do from a worldly standard to find meaning and purpose, but none of it seemed to be working. He tried being smart and education and wisdom, but that didn't give him what he was looking for. He tried pleasure, did everything you could think about when he tried pleasure, but that just seemed to be something that distracted at the moment, and the next day it was gone. He tried work and job and getting motivation through that. He tried even relationships, but nothing really gave him what he was looking for. I talked last week about a man by the name of Mark Bell uh, who let uh, 70 foster kids into his home after the hurricane. I said he had a 37,000 square foot house and people immediately questioned that and said, Chip, 37,000 square foot, go check your facts. So I did. And I was wrong. So this is in favor of full disclosure. He has a 27,000 square foot house, and I've got a picture of it uh, right here. That's that's his house. So still big, okay? And uh, and he let uh, the 70 foster kids in his house. Got a picture of some of their shoes uh, right here as they're they're getting ready. And he kept them. Still has them until their facility is completely back up and going. And what we said is the things of this life that we look for from the world, things like pleasure and job and relationship, we said that those things are not bad, uh, but it's what you do with them that counts. But if you look to them for your ultimate meaning and purpose, that's when you're going to find them not quite measuring up. There's nothing wrong with being educated. There's nothing wrong with having pleasure. There's nothing wrong with having a good job and getting meaning from it, but it's not going to give you ultimate fulfillment. So when people begin to discover that, they start to say, well, then what's going to give me ultimate fulfillment? And so the next thing they try is spirituality. They try God. So they come to church. They get active in church. They they read their Bible. They give their money. Uh, They serve on a committee. Uh, They they do everything they can to to get involved in the church. And yet still, what we're going to see today is that doesn't always give you what you're looking for. It's interesting in Mark chapter two and three, there is story after story of Jesus having conflict with the religious leaders. And he's having conflict with them over and over and over again for one very simple reason. Their meaning and focus and purpose is found in religion. And his isn't. His is found in relationship with God. 
And so they're constantly butting heads because they're trying to find fulfillment in very different things. So we're going to look at five different stories from the life of Jesus in Mark 2 and 3, one after another. And in every one of them, Jesus has a conflict about what really matters and what really counts. And we're going to see the religious answer to it, and we're going to see Jesus' answer to it. So first we'll cover Mark chapter 2, verse 13. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And the first thing we see is this. Religion says we are pursuing God. Religion says we are pursuing God. Look down at chapter 2, verse 13. Once again, Jesus went out beside the lake and a large crowd came to him and he began to teach them. And as he walked around, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, Jesus told him. And Levi got up and followed him. Now, when it comes to religion, most of us think that what we have to do is we have to find God. We're on a big search for God. We're looking for God. We're trying to get God's attention. We're trying to get God to care for us. We're on a search for God. And that's what religion is all about, is us pursuing, us trying to find God. And there are people who do very extreme things trying to get God's approval, God's attention, uh, to let God know they're out there. As a matter of fact, around the world, especially during Holy Week, people do some pretty bizarre things. They will actually nail themselves to crosses trying to get God's attention to show them how sincere they are. They will take whips and beat themselves until their backs are bloody so God will know they're sincere and pays attention to them. Got a picture uh, right here of, of people doing that uh, around the world. So this is the idea. If I do these extreme things, God will pay attention to me because we're trying to pursue God and get God's attention. But the truth of the matter is that it's Jesus and God who are pursuing us. We're not pursuing him. We've got the whole thing turned around. It's like the, the little girl who the puppy was chasing and she's running around the room screaming as the puppy's chasing her. And her mom comes in and says, what's going on here? And she says, I'm chasing the puppy. Well, that's how it is with us and God. God's trying to run you down. And when he about catches you, you think, well, I guess I've been pursuing God this whole time, haven't you? The truth is God is pursuing you. Back to our story. Who's pursuing who in our story? In our story, Levi is sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were unbelievably hated. They weren't just like tax collectors today who we don't like anyway because they take our money. But these were traitors. They were collecting money not to go back into Israel and help the country there. They were collecting money for Rome. So you weren't just a tax collector. You were collecting for an occupying power and you were considered a traitor. So they really hated these people. So Jesus has become very popular. He's walking through Capernaum. There's a huge crowd with him. He walks right up to the tax collector's booth where a hated traitor tax collector is taking their money. And he walks up to the tax collector and says, come follow me. Now that hadn't entered Levi's mind at this particular moment. He's just worried about getting the next, the next amount of money that comes up. But it happened because Jesus was pursuing him. He was after him. And that's what we need to realize. Religion is us trying to get God's attention. Jesus said, though, God is trying to get our attention. That brings us to the second story. Right after this, it follows right on the heels of it. And and it says this, religion says there are good and bad people in the world. 
There are good and bad people in the world. Keep reading in our scripture down to verse 15. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, that in itself would have been scandalous. You have a hated tax collector, and now Jesus goes and eats at his house. That might not seem like a lot to you. I'll take a free meal wherever I can get it. But in this day and age, it meant a lot. Because if you actually ate with another person, it says that they were your friend and that, that you, uh, you were in relationship with them. So Jesus is making the statement, this hated tax collector is my friend and I'm in a relationship with him. We, we, we have gone beyond just acquaintances. And so this would have been a very scandalous thing. So Levi invites all of his friends. Who's he going to invite? He's a hated tax collector. So he invited other tax collectors and the worst sinners in the city, and they all ate with Jesus and his disciples. Wow. So Jesus is now eating with the worst people in town. He's with all of these bad people. And then look down at verse 16. When the teachers of the law who were Pharisees saw him eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciple, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? They don't understand it. These are bad people. Don't you get it? These are the worst people in town. They're traitors. They're prostitutes. They're thieves. That's who he's eating with. Does he have no idea who he's eating with? What's wrong with him? Why would he be around bad people? And we get that from the fact that if you are pursuing God instead of God pursuing you, you think the way you find God and that you please God and you get God's notice is by being a good little boy or girl. I'm following it all. I'm a good boy. I'm a good girl. God looks at me now. He notices that I'm good and he's pleased. And I've got to stay away from the bad people that are out there. And so that's what God wants. Don't let me get around bad people. Help me be a good person. Did you know the longer you are a Christian, the less likely you are to lead somebody to the Lord? Who thinks that's kind of a, a, a opposite stat of what it should be? Yeah, the longer you're a Christian, the more likely you should be, but it's just the opposite. And do you know why? Because the longer you're a Christian, the less non-Christian connections you have because you start to sever them <laughs> because you divide the world into good and bad people. So even at work, you start hanging around the other Christians. I'm even doing a Bible study with my friends at church or at work or something, you'll say. Uh, you go to the ball game with, with your kid's team. You find the other Christians and you all sit together and you talk about the other parents who are getting mad when they shouldn't. And you look down on them because they're the bad people or, or something like that. You know. Or when you get bad, you forgive yourself. It's just the other people you don't. You know. Because there's good and there's bad people. So let's see what Jesus says. Verse 17. On hearing this, Jesus said to them, it's not healthy people who need a doctor, but sick people. I haven't come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we divide the world up into good people and bad people because we're pursuing God. God says that's not the case at all. Jesus says God's pursuing you. And if God's pursuing you, there's not good or bad. There's redeemed and unredeemed people. The way Jesus literally puts it in our scripture is there's sick people and there's people who found the cure to the disease they have. That's the only two kind of people there are in the world. There aren't good and bad. There are sick people, Jesus said, who need a doctor. And when the doctor comes and makes you well, that doesn't mean you're a good person. That means you just found the right medicine and the antidote. So we think good and bad. Jesus thinks sick and cured. 
And, and so it's an entirely different way of looking at the world uh, than we do. But we try to divide people up into that. I found this uh, from one of the protesters from that Westboro Baptist Church in Kansas, which, by the way, people mistake us for all the time. Westport Road, are you that crazy church that's out there? And I said, probably, but not the one you're thinking of. You know, it's, it's, it's a little bit different and everything. Repent or perish. God hates you just the way you are. Now, that's a message that's going to draw people. It's warm. It's fuzzy. It's going to bring people in. And, uh, you know, that's the way it's there. That's dividing people into good and bad, though. And, of course, we're always the good. The other people are always the bad. The third story, then, that we see is religion, then, if it's about you pursuing God, and if it's about you being good, then you have to do something to be good. And so your religion, your faith becomes about rules and regulations. And so, okay, I'm pursuing God. I want to be good. Now I've got to follow all the rules and all the regs, and then I'll be a good person. Look down at verse 18. We have our third story. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? So they come to Jesus and they said, man, every time we see you all, you're having a party somewhere. Don't you know that really sincere religious people fast? They don't eat food for a while. They give themselves over to God. They sacrifice themselves. That shows they're sincere. Now, there's nothing wrong with fasting. As a matter of fact, we need to be doing it. But they are saying the way that you're going to please God is following the rules. And one of the rules is you are supposed to fast and we never see your disciples fasting. They're always eating a big meal and having a good time and they have dessert after every meal. Who would have wanted to have been one of the disciples of Jesus? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And so, you know, because it's all about rules, it's all about regulations because you're trying to be good. And so if the way you're trying to be good is by following the rules, then if somebody else is breaking them or not doing them, then they fall back into the bad category again. Because you're the good person following all the rules and the regulations. It doesn't mean there aren't standards of living and things that we're supposed to be doing, but that's not how you're going to please God. I pastored a church in Virginia that was from the 1800s. And uh, I think some of the people were still there uh, when, I was, when I was pastoring it. But uh, great, great church that, that was there. But they had some old bylaws that had been changed that were hilarious. One of them was you could not play cards if you were a member of the church. But you could play rook. And so, you know, I thought, well, okay, well, that's a little... A little side thing there. You know, of course, you couldn't drink, couldn't smoke, couldn't smile, have a good time, uh, all that kind of stuff that was there. But I thought that was the funniest. Tom Rayner uh, from the uh, from Nashville Southern Baptist Convention's office, he does a lot of helping churches rewrite their bylaws. And here are some bylaws that he found in the last year that churches still had uh, that, that I thought were kind of humorous. These are actual church bylaws that Rayner found. No one can bring a colored drink, especially red Kool-Aid, into the sanctuary. Now, you know what that says? You don't, want to, you don't want to stain the carpet or something. But they actually made a church rule about it. Uh, another one. An active member is defined as someone who gives one penny a year. Okay. Take out your penny. Throw it in the plate. You're an active member. We've got you there. There are very specific guidelines 
there will be very specific guidelines regarding the church van if the church ever purchases a van. (laughs) So let's get that rule in there right now. Only men can serve communion and they must wear a coat and tie. I guess they don't need pants, but they have to have a coat and tie when they're in there. No one can sell eight track tapes on the church grounds. I'd like to buy one. Those things are, you know, they're they're historic. You are not allowed to bring glitter into any part of the church. Yeah. What's next business meeting, folks? Put that out there. No church member can drink alcohol except during the Lord's Supper. And you wonder why that's the best attended Sunday of the entire year. No one can come to the church with diarrhea. I don't even know what to say about that one. We'll just, we'll just leave it. And finally, members cannot have assigned pews. Lucky we have chairs. Uh, so those are some actual bylaws because we get obsessed with rules and following the rules. Well, let's see what Jesus uh, had to say about all of this uh, down in verse 19. Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's still with them? They cannot so long as they have him with them. So this is what Jesus said. They're saying, okay, your disciples aren't fasting. They're not following the rules. They're not being sincere. They're not showing God and trying to get his attention. And Jesus said, you're missing the point. It's about relationships. At, at a wedding, you don't fast at the reception when the bride and groom are there. You have a party. Jesus says, I'm here now with them. It's party time. It's about relationship. So they're making it rules and regulation. Jesus says it's all about the relationship we have with God. The fourth story, right on. You just keep going one after another. Religion says God loves you if. God loves you if. Look down to verse 23. Verse 23. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as the disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. So they're going to church, and they're late, and they haven't had any breakfast yet. Can anybody identify? You could have been a disciple, you know, as they get there. So what do they do? They begin to pick some of the heads of grain and eat it. They haven't had breakfast. They just pull some of the stalk of grain off and they start eating it in their hands. No big deal. Verse 24, the Pharisees said to him, look, why are they doing that which is not lawful to do on the Sabbath day? So for the religious leaders who are pursuing God, who are trying to be good, and the way they're being good is by following rules and regulations, they have now broken one of the rules and regulations, even though it's kind of fuzzy, you know, don't work on the Sabbath day. And technically, by taking a little stalk and eating it, they consider that work. Therefore, they're breaking one of the rules and they go back and they're bad people. Why are they doing that? Because God's not going to love them if they do that. God loves you if. God loves you if you do all the right things. God loves you if you're a good little boy or girl. God loves you if you give enough money. God loves you if you, uh, uh, you know, whatever, if you read your Bible every day. God's going to love me if. That's a very disturbing place to be in, to think that God's love for you is something that comes and goes by your behavior and your emotion. 
Because I'm here to tell you, there's nobody in this room, including me, that does it right all the time. We mess up all the time. Think about your mom and dad. What if your mom and dad only loved you when you did something right? Is that how mom and dads are? They weren't supposed to be, no. And God just doesn't love you when you do what's right. Jesus' answer to this is really very interesting. Uh, Look down to uh, uh, verse 27. Verse 27. Then he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So what they're saying to Jesus is they're not following the rule. They're not being good people. They're not pursuing God. Therefore, God doesn't love them. They're breaking the Sabbath law. And Jesus said, you've got this messed up. People weren't made for the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day was made for people. Now, what does Jesus mean by that? What he means by that is God didn't establish the world and say, now I'm going to make some rules and laws and regulations and you better follow them. They're to keep you in line. They're to make you do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do them, you're bad people. So I make the Sabbath. And if you don't follow the Sabbath, you're a bad person because it's the Sabbath and you're breaking it. And that's how most of us view the law of God. It's a rule that God put in place to keep us in line and we better follow it. Jesus says that's not the case at all. The rules and the laws of the Bible are to make your life better. You weren't made to follow the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to help you. How's it helped me? Because people weren't supposed to work seven days a week without any rest. Your life will be better if you get rest. People weren't made to go through life and not have a time where they refocus and reorient and set priorities upon God. And so you need that in your life. You will be less without it. If you don't follow the Sabbath, it's going to be something that hurts you. I want your best. And so I'm giving you this law not to show that you're a bad person if you don't follow it, but to make your life better. And so Jesus says, it's not about God loving you if he gave it to you because he loves you regardless. That's the most important thing you will ever hear in your life. There is nothing you will ever do, no sin you will ever commit, no place you will ever go that God will not love you and call you to him. And that's what the cross is all about. Jesus dying to forgive you of your sins when you did not deserve it. It's not about God loving me if I'm a good boy and girl and follow the rules. It's about God loving you regardless. And that brings us to the last thing that we see. Religion will divide us and drive people apart. Religion will divide us and drive people apart. In chapter 3, the very next story, Jesus still is having trouble uh, with the religious leaders. You know the odd thing? Jesus never had trouble with the bad people, never had trouble with them. They loved his message, flocked to him, came to him, wanted to be around him. It was the good religious folk Jesus had trouble with. And why? Because of everything we've just said. They thought they were trying to pursue God. They thought they were good and bad people. You had to follow all the rules. And if not, God wouldn't love you. And so Jesus was constantly coming into conflict with that. Chapter 3. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and there was a man with a shriveled hand who was there. 
Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath day. Back to the working on the Sabbath day again thing. So there's a guy with a, with a shriveled hand. Jesus has now showed up. Is he going to heal him? If he does, he's working on the Sabbath day. He's breaking the rules. He's a bad person. God doesn't love him. All that's now into play. Now, it may also interest you that Jesus has shown up late again for church again. Uh, you know, that seems to be a pattern. They sleep in. I don't know what it is. They, they barely get here on time. It's like some of you don't know we do music on Sunday mornings, you know, but we do. There's actually a point before you get here where we're actually singing some songs and stuff or, or something like that. So Jesus is again late. He gets there and they start watching him closely to see what he's going to do. Is he going to be a bad person? And is he going to do this? And why are they doing it? They said they want something to accuse him. Right there, division. They've gone beyond it. They've already established he's a bad person who doesn't follow the rules. We've got to prove it and show it to him. They are now in a, in a divisive mode. They're now trying to tear apart instead of put together. You know, if you follow the pattern that we see of the religious leaders here and the way you're trying to get to God and get God's approval and God's notice, two things happen. There'll be times you succeed and you become arrogant and you're a goody two-shoes judgmental Christian. And people look at you and they say, man, I sure don't want that. They think they're better than everybody else. They're a bunch of goody two-shoes because you divided the world into good and bad and you're the good. And then when you mess up, guess what? You give yourself a second chance. You give yourself a pass when you mess up. You don't give it to anybody else. They're bad people. But you give yourself a pass because you know you're really a good person. And then the world looks at you and they say, well, man, they've gone from being a judgmental goody two-shoes to a hypocrite. And that's basically how the world views the church in those two ways. Goody two-shoes and hypocrites. And so that's kind of what's happening here. Will Jesus heal this guy? If so, he's a bad person. He broke the rules and we have something to accuse him. Now, Jesus knows what's going on. So he doesn't want any confrontation. So in verse 3, Jesus said to the man with a shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody because he didn't want any confrontation. And so the man stands up in front of everybody. You see, religion divides, Jesus heals and brings together. And let's look at what Jesus said. Then Jesus asked them, what is it lawful to do on the Sabbath day? Should you do good on the Sabbath day or should you do evil? Pretty simple question. It's the Sabbath day. Would God rather me do something good, like healing this man? Or would God rather me do something evil on the Sabbath day? Would God rather I save a life on the Sabbath day or that I kill somebody? But they remained silent. Why are they silent? Because they don't care what Jesus has to say. And they don't care about the man with the hurt hand. They care about their rules and their regulations and being a good person and trying to get God's notice and pursue him. And Jesus has broken all that stuff. He's a bad person and he has to be shown to be bad and he has to be condemned. Verse five is so interesting. Jesus looked at them, the good religious people trying to be good, pursuing God in anger. Do you know there is never one verse in the Bible where Jesus looks at a well-known sinner with anger? He looks at them with compassion and love. He looks at the good religious people in anger. He is deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. 
How can they not get it? How can they not know God is the one forgiving them when they don't deserve it? How can they not know it's about people? God loves and cares for people. It's not about your rule or your law or your regulation. It's about God loving and caring for people. And there's somebody here hurting that I can do something about and you don't care. Because all you care about is your rule and law. And so Jesus looks at them. He becomes upset and he says to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Verse 6, very informative. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. They're fed up with it. He's a bad guy. We've got to stop him. We've got to kill him. You know what he did today? He healed a man on the Sabbath day. We've got to kill him for doing something like that. Now you say it like that and it sounds strange, don't you? But you come from their perspective of I'm trying to find God by being good and following the rules. And this guy told me the rules are about helping me instead of me following them. He told me it's about people instead of things. He told me it's about relationship instead of laws. And he's breaking all of these things and I've got to stop him or he's going to start leading people astray. So they want to kill him. And the rest of the book of Mark is Jesus trying to preach a message of love while these people try to do everything in their can to get to a point where they can put him to death. You look at all of those things and what you see is this. Religion will end up when it's trying to be good and trying to follow the rules. It ends up dividing. And it divides for this very reason. Nobody's ever going to do everything you think they're going to do. And so you begin to have good and bad people. Not only that, you have good and bad churches. We fight among denominations. If you're a Southern Baptist, you fight among yourself. You know, that's just the way it is. Uh, I remember when I was in Virginia, small town in Virginia, every church of every denomination got along. There were like seven churches in town. We had a ministerial alliance. We had a day once a year where we drew names out of a hat and you went and preached at that church. No matter what denomination it was. I got to preach at the Catholic church one time and the, and the, the priest said, need to wear your robe. And I said, I've got one. I'm going I'm to be there in my robe. And he said, well, I'm going to wear a Brooks Brothers suit at your church. And I said, man, priests must make more than pastors because I can't afford Brooks Brothers suit, you know, all, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and so there was a trust among people who knew each other and were family throughout the community. In Louisville, Kentucky, the Southern Baptist churches can't even get along. We don't say, what denomination are you? We say, yeah, I know it's a Baptist church, but what kind of a Baptist church is it? You know, that's what I'm wanting to know, you know, when you get in there. Because we have all these things we want to put together to pull us apart. But as we said when we took the Lord's Supper a few minutes ago, Jesus is what brings us together. Got a picture here of a man by the name of Michael Flax. Michael was arrested for... uh, being a part of a white supremacist group, went to prison for uh, trying to commit terrorist acts. When he got out of prison, he got a parole officer. His parole officer was a black woman. Not the greatest thing for Michael, uh, as, as you could imagine. He immediately was very agitated when they came into the room. 
He told her as a Christian that he was superior to her and everything else. And when it was over, Tiffany Whittier, the uh, parole officer, said this to him. She said, you were filled with so much hate and you talk about God. Please read your Bible because God talks about love, not hate. And then she said to him, you can say anything you want to me. I'm going to try to do your best, and I'm going to love you as a Christian. And then when she walked out, she looked at him and said, your wife just had a baby. Do you want your baby to be filled with the hate you feel right now? A month later, she had another meeting with Michael. She walked in. He was already undergoing the process of getting all of his Nazi tattoos removed. And she asked him why he did it. And he said, I took out my Bible and I started reading it. And I read about love. And I realized this. I don't want my son to hate the way I hated. And he asked for her forgiveness. This is a picture of Tiffany and Michael at their last meeting going out to lunch. You see, religion will always find a way to divide because you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. But Jesus will always find a way of bringing us together. No matter who you are, where we've come from, what you've been doing, this is the place that you can come. Find healing and love and family. And that's the way the world's supposed to be. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you for the way that you love us. Help us to live a life that brings people together, not tear people apart. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, MyWRBC. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.